as we look at the life of Joseph, um, many of the verses there really apply very well to his life and his trust in the Lord. So um, we're back in uh, Genesis again. <clears throat> For those who are visiting, we are doing a series of uh, character studies in the uh, Scripture. And um, we're in uh, Genesis chapter 39 this morning. And we're looking again at the life of Joseph. I'd like to um, make a few statements first. And they're common statements. We use them often, and I want to ask you if they are true. Great suffering is as a result of great sin. False. For those who think it's true, I'd like you to meet Joseph. Like father, like son. True? Okay. Sometimes, sometimes not. For those who think that it's written in stone, I'd like you to meet Joseph. The apple does not fall far from the tree. Sometimes it's a rotten apple and sometimes it's not. For those who think it's always true, I'd like you to meet Joseph. Look at how he suffers. He must have done something very bad. True or false? False. Again, I'd like you to meet Joseph. Well, for those of you who missed the first message on Joseph, let me recap briefly here. Joseph's father had asked him to go and check on his brothers who were out feeding the flocks, and he was to go and, and find them, find out how they were doing, and find out how the flocks were doing. When his brothers saw him coming, they decided they would kill him. And as he approached them, uh, one of the brothers uh, persuaded them to put him into a pit instead. He had hoped to come back later and release him and take him back to his father's home. Uh, the other brothers had hoped to just kill him and, and then um, take his coat, send it back and say that a beast had done, had, well, a beast had killed him. But while the uh, brother was away, uh, Joseph is in the pit and they uh, decide when they see a Midian caravan coming that they could make some money off of Joseph. And so they sold him into the human slave traffic and uh, sold him for 20 pieces of silver. That's the last we see of Joseph uh, in chapter 37 until we come to chapter 39. We have had kind of a parenthesis these last two weeks looking at a couple of the uh, brothers of Joseph and particularly uh, last week when we looked at uh, um, Judah. And now God concentrates the story back on Joseph and we're going to pick up where we left off there in chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Now we have a distinct advantage uh, today in that we know the end of the story. We've already read all the way to chapter 50. And so we have a, a distinct advantage that Joseph did not have. Uh, all he knew is that his brothers had attempted to kill him. They had abused him by throwing him in a pit. 
They betrayed him by selling him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Joseph is 17 years old. He's really just entering the prime of his life, the strength of his youth, if you will. And his whole life seems to be melting before his eyes. Now, he had some time to think uh, on the journey from wherever his brothers were down to Egypt. And I have no doubt that he thought long and hard about what was happening to him. I'm sure he wondered whether he would ever enjoy the love of his father again, whether he would ever see him again. I'm sure that he, as he had pled with his brothers not to do this evil, uh, the thoughts and the emotions and the, the plotting and the scheming and all the things that went on must have been racing in his mind at this time. He was human. He was a person just like you and I, and he would have similar thoughts. You know, what has gone on? Why did they treat me like this? Why have they done this to me? If he remembered the dreams that he had had previously, he must have wondered, Lord, I thought I was going to be ruler. I thought I was going to reign over my brothers and that they were going to bow down to me. But all of that was quickly forgotten as he headed into this new land, this new area, uh, the land of Egypt. You know, when we go through trials in life, their suddenness often blindsides us. Um, Most trials don't come with great warning, do they? We don't usually see trials long in advance. They seem to hit us out of the blue. And uh, whether it's sickness or a soured relationship or it's financial loss, loss of a job, an accident, we never seem to expect them when they occur. And Joseph reflects the same attitude that we see in Job, though. He, he responded very well. Do you remember Job uh, was stripped of everything that he owned all in one day? And when he got the final report after having bad news all day long of everything that had befallen him, the loss of his, uh, of his uh, uh, flocks, the loss of his servants, the loss of his own children, He bowed himself before the Lord and said, The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I believe Joseph had the same attitude. And the reason I say that is that as we continue to study the life of Joseph, we see an attitude that is reflected in him that is very similar to that of, of Job. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, if we were to follow the world's line of reasoning... It should have been one of Joseph's unrighteous brothers who would be suffering. If evil comes to evil people and good comes to good people, then why is evil coming to Joseph? But if we trace the life of Joseph and we trace the life of so many of God's saints, that's exactly what happens. Uh, it was actually a Jewish author, not a believer, who wrote a book one time, and it's the, the title of the book is why do bad things happen to good people? And he could see, even from his worldly vantage point, that in life, uh, that's the way it is. That it's often people who seem to be righteous, seem to be doing right things, that often suffer the most. Life just isn't fair, it seems. It doesn't seem right. And so we often have people questioning, why did God permit this evil to happen? 
I want to step outside of the box for just a minute. And I want you to see that in Joseph's life, as well as in your life, God has a much bigger plan that he is unfolding. It's bigger than just the little 24 hours a day that you face. It's a large plan. It's a grand plan. It's a huge scheme that he has uh, in the works. And we see that in Joseph's life. And it is right on track. God isn't missing a step here. He makes no mistakes. So we want to think about the bigger picture for just a minute. We know that roughly 2,200 years before this event that Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden and that God had promised to them that he would send a deliverer. And that deliverer would come through the, uh, through the woman. He would be a man and that he would ultimately destroy Satan. We also know that about 200 years prior to this event that God had taken Abraham and had shown him the stars of the sky and he said, Abraham, uh, you're going to have descendants like the stars of the sky. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. God promised to Abraham that through his seed, all the nations would be blessed. He recognized that God was making a promise that, that the deliverer, the Messiah, would come through him. He made the same promise to his sons and his grandsons. And so Joseph is part of this family through whom God had made this promise that all of the nations of the world would be blessed. It didn't seem like it at the moment, but God had made that promise. We, knew, we know that God was promising uh, a direct descendant of Abraham. Um, God, who sees the end from the beginning, God, who knows all things, sees that at this moment of time, 20 years down the road, there is going to be such a severe famine in the land that many, many people would die, including Joseph's own family. The famine would be so severe that it would destroy um, people from uh, that part of the world. Would God's plans be thwarted? Would he be made out to be a liar? What would he do to shape all of history so that all that he promised would be completely fulfilled? It started with a man, and that man is Joseph. He would send Joseph into Egypt, where in his time and in his perfect way, God would deliver his people in such a remarkable way that we would be talking about it 4,000 years later. God has a much bigger plan than just this, just the moment-by-moment moment events in Joseph's life. And yet, he harnesses those moments for his glory and for his praise. And that is exactly what he does in our life. God is not uh, um, in a quandary when, things, when bad things happen in your life. When things don't go the way you're expecting or bad things happen to good people, it doesn't throw him. God is working all of his purposes together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purposes. Do you believe it? You can see it in the life of Joseph. Imagine what it would be like to be Joseph. James tells us to respond to trials this way. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, God's plan 
was ultimately to save the nation of Israel. And in doing so, he would save Egypt and the surrounding nations as well. His primary focus was on the nation of Israel. But others would come into the blessing of that as well. To preserve the line of the Messiah and to fulfill his promises, and that plan cannot be thwarted. If God makes a promise, he will see it through. We can bank on it. We can't bank on very much in this economy, can we? But we can bank on God's word. So God sets into motion the means of saving his people 20 years before they even know there's a need. Who is like the Lord? There is no one like him. As we read this story, we should be encouraged to cooperate with God in any trial that he sends our way because God has a bigger plan, a bigger picture that he's working on um, as as we go through trials. Nothing takes God by surprise. Don't think that God has plan A and plan B. And if plan A doesn't work, well, then he he falls to plan B. It's plan A all the way through, and he will see it through. You have heard the Bible says, well, James says this, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Praise his name for that. Well, I want to consider Joseph's life for just a moment um, and the tests that he went through in his life. First of all, he was tested as a son. We actually looked at this last time, but I'll just remind you a little bit about it. In chapter 37, verses 13 and 14, it says, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out to the valley of Hebron and went and he went to Shechem. The first test of faithful service in anybody's life is service in the home. First test of faithful service is how you respond in your own family. The Bible says it pretty plainly actually it says children obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. It's just the right thing to do. Your service your faithful obedience to your parents is your first test of, obedi- of, your, of your faithfulness. Absolutely essential. If you don't get that one right, you're not going to get the rest of them right. Okay? That's the first test. His father called him, and Joseph responded immediately by saying, Here I am. He's responding like the genie out of the bottle. Master, your wish is my command. Now, it wasn't that formal, but... But if his father spoke, he jumped. If his father said jump, he said how high. That was the right response. It's not common today, but it's essential. It's it's necessary. It's appropriate. You may also remember that Joseph, as he went to look for his brothers, he ran into difficulties, and he didn't quit. He came to a place where he thought they would be, and they weren't there. And so he asked, where would they be? And he, he had to overcome an obstacle, overcome a difficulty, in order to fulfill his father's will, and he did so. Do we have that attitude as children of God? Father, here I am. What would you have me do? Your wish 
is my command. Whereas Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. If the Lord is calling you, are you listening? What are you saying? Joseph was tested as a son. Joseph was tested as Potiphar's slave. Let's go back to Genesis 39. And we'll begin reading in verse 2. <clears throat> the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. When Potiphar saw Joseph on the auction block that day, whatever he paid for him was too small. It wasn't enough. He got his money's worth and a whole lot more. Joseph was bought as a slave to serve his master, and Joseph threw himself into the work wholeheartedly. Now, you have to remember, Joseph, I'm sure, didn't want to be there. But nevertheless, he saw that God had placed him there. He trusted enough in God and that God's providence and God's care for him that, that he accepted his position uh, there in, in the uh, slave trade. And when he was purchased, he threw himself wholeheartedly into the work that was at hand. This is remarkable for a 17-year-old boy who has just had a first-hand look at the injustices of life. Later in life, Joseph said to his brothers, God sent me here. He saw that there was the unseen hand of God that had moved him like checkers on the checkerboard and had placed him right in the right position. Uh, and he saw clearly that it was God who did that. It's as if he said, I'm here, Lord. The Lord is with me. What more do I need? God has placed me here under these circumstances, in these conditions, at this time, and I will do His will. Father, here I am. What would you have me to do? In the New Testament parlance, we can say this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And in the context of what Paul says there in Romans, it fits with what Joseph was facing as well. Potiphar prospered because of Joseph. Joseph prospered because of the Lord. The Lord was with him. Potiphar recognized that the Lord was with him, and so he gave Joseph full charge of everything that he had. That is amazing. Okay? Can I ask you, what 17-year-old would you trust with everything you have? But the Lord was with him. And the Lord and Joseph was given full charge of everything he had. So let's take a look at it, verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. I'm going to stop there for a second. Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Okay? It's important that we realize that that's the first thing that Joseph saw. Joseph had an obligation to serve his master. Whatever the master wanted, whatever the master needed, that's what Joseph did. Joseph served him. Then, it says, he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. 
And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. In other words, he wasn't concerned about anything that was uh, in Joseph's care. The only thing that mattered to him was that he got fed, and he ate the food that Joseph provided for him. That was it. Carefree in that sense. Now it says, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph served Potiphar faithfully. And so what did Potiphar do? He gave him more responsibility. He served Potiphar first. And when Potiphar saw how he was serving him, he gave him greater responsibility over everything he had, both inside and outside, uh, both in his household. That would include his finances. It would include the other servants. It would include those who worked the fields. It was everything. In fact, Joseph later said, um, uh, later in this passage, he says that he is, we would say it, numero uno. Okay? That's the only Spanish I know, Sharon. I'm sorry. He was the number one servant. He, he had been given the responsibility of being in charge of everything. And so he turned over everything he had to Joseph's stewardship. He trusted Joseph implicitly. And Joseph was industrious, diligent, obedient, and reliable. The Bible says this of stewards. And we are all, as believers, we are stewards or we are servants of the Lord. It says it is required of servants that we be found faithful and joseph was definitely a faithful faithful man i want to talk for just a moment about work work is not a curse now some of you have misread genesis and you say see before the curse they didn't work yeah they did they cared for the uh the garden he named the animals. He was involved uh, in, a, in a lot of work. Work is not a curse. The curse that is associated with work is that it's going to be difficult. You're going to sweat in order to make things work. But work itself is not a curse. The Lord showed by example that we are to work. In fact, it says that he worked six days, didn't he? He made the heavens and the earth in six days, and then he rested. God ordained work and work ethics in the Garden of Eden. Um, the fourth commandment tells us that we are to work. Did you know that? It says, in six days you shall labor. Now, most of the time we read that passage and say, uh, it says we need to have the Sabbath off. <laughs> well, that's true. It does say that. But it says, in six days you shall work. It's a command of the Lord. Paul teaches us to, to give ourselves fully to the work, and particularly the work of the Lord, and to work whether the boss is looking or not. Our work should not be to please men, but to please our true boss, and that is God. That is the Lord. Our work should be pleasing to the Lord, and, it will, and, if, it, and if our work is pleasing to the Lord, guess what? our boss will be pleased too. Don't be clock watchers. Don't be half-hearted. Don't be do-just-enough-to-get-by kind of workers. Paul says in Ephesians 6, Not with eye service as men-pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. See, again, work. Doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Another thing I notice about Joseph's work ethics, he didn't whine, he didn't cry, and he didn't fuss about it. Uh, he wasn't grumbling uh, and pouting um, about where he could have, where, where he could be. I could be somewhere else other than here. I could be doing something else other than doing this. I could be, I could be, I could be. Just do the work, okay? And he did it with all of his heart. He threw himself into it wholeheartedly. Solomon refers to the sluggard, or actually he refers the sluggard to the ant. And he says, go to the ant, thou sluggard, and see what he's doing. He is thinking ahead. He is thinking about the future, and he's preparing the future in the summer so that he has enough for the winter. He also um, instructs us to work at whatever our hands find to do. You know, as I think about Joseph, I think he enjoyed his work. He's a slave, but it seems like he enjoys the work. Um, <clears throat> he, he, uh, as, you, as you look at him and you study the passage and you see him going about his work, it's with diligence, it's with effort, it's with oomph. And he seems to be really enjoying it. Colossians 3.17 says this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do you start your day that way? Lord, I commit my day to You. The work that You have given me to do today, whether it is sweeping floors, cleaning out toilets after our guests have left, whether it is uh, working in the factory, working in the kitchen, whatever it happens to be, Lord, this is my service to you today. And I am going to serve you with a glad heart, fully and completely dedicated to you. Lord, use me this day for your glory in whatever I do. Do it all in the name of the Lord. And Lord, by the way, thanks for the work you've given me to do. His master was blessed. Actually, that mean, word really means this. His master prospered under Joseph's care. Can I ask you this? Are you a blessing at work? Are you a blessing at work? What do I mean by that? Does your boss rely on you? Can he rely on you? Or is, or is he going, eh, that troublemaker Robertson. Does your work promote the blessing of God in your workplace. It did with Joseph. And among the workers and towards your boss, we can certainly learn from Joseph on this front. Uh, finally, Joseph in uh, Potiphar's household did not overreach his stewardship. When Potiphar's wife made sexual advances towards Joseph, Joseph resisted the temptation and stood on godly principles. And in verse 9, we, we read this. He says this, There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph had control over everything, everything in the master's house, except for her. She was off limits because she was his wife. And Joseph turned the temptation back at her, almost like a mirror, and said, you are his wife. 
you made a vow to this man for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, or whatever they said back in the Egyptian days, till death do us part. You are his. You're his wife. He wanted to bring to her attention again and let her see what she was saying in light of the fact that she had made a vow, a commitment to this man as husband and wife. She was off limits because she was his master's wife. And he calls it like it is. He says, this is a great wickedness. It's a sin. It's a sin person to person. But more than that, this is a sin against God. We're going to talk more about this next week, Lord willing. So Joseph, as we know, is falsely accused. He's thrown into prison. This was a complete miscarriage of justice. He had done nothing wrong. He had done nothing wrong to his brothers. He shouldn't have even been in Egypt in the first place. But he threw himself wholeheartedly into the work. He was a shining example of how you should serve. And then in the midst of this, he's now falsely accused and thrown into prison. This isn't fair. You ever feel like that in life? Things just don't go your way? (laughs) It's just not fair. More reason to sulk and fret and be despondent. But that's not how he responds. And so we want to look now at Joseph being tested as a prisoner in verse, starting in verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Man, I like Joseph. But I like Joseph's Lord even better. Joseph rose to a high position over all the other prisoners in the prison system in Egypt. Why? I think the answer can be found in Mark chapter 10. Jesus called him, them to himself, his, his disciples. They were disputing over who was going to be greatest among them. I'm going to be greater because the Lord picked me first. Yeah, but he picked me last, and the last is always best. You know, I'm going to reign by his, on his right side. No, you're going to reign on his left. And they're fighting over who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus said, hey, come here. Let me talk to you for just a minute. You know those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them yet it shall not be so among you but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many joseph shows himself here in prison to be a true servant, a servant like the Lord. A servant is one who has no rights, no rights. A servant puts others ahead of himself. A servant is one who truly considers others more important than himself. Are you that kind of servant? We are all servants of the Lord. But are you that kind of servant? Well, let's take a look at what happens in prison. Chapter 40, verse 5. 
Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house saying, why do you look so sad today? So Joseph is making his prison rounds. And he's looking into the cells or into the uh, holding tanks of the uh, prisoners. And he notices that two officers of Pharaoh are in prison and their countenance is different than it was yesterday. He took that kind of intimate care and notice of those that were under his care. Two of them had a fallen countenance. And so he comes to them and he seeks um, to help them. He wants to find out why they feel so sad. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. As his followers, we must put others ahead of ourselves. We must. Life is not about me. Life is not about you. Life is about putting others ahead of ourselves we are the stewards of the lord jesus christ and that means that our lives are not our own we have been bought with a price the precious blood of the lord jesus christ and we are to serve the lord and we do that by serving others if god came down to this earth and he took off his garment and put on the garment of a slave and he bowed down in front of his disciples and he washed their filthy feet. God did this. And ultimately he died on the cross for them. Shouldn't we wash one another's feet? That's the question that the Lord had to ask us. And Jesus asked this penetrating question in John 13. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Joseph was blessed in all that he did, and you can be too. If you know these things, Jesus said, blessed are you if you do them. But as you look around at this crowd of faces here this morning, and you look at this side of the room, and you look at this section of the room, and you look at this section of the room here, and those who are out in the foyer, as you look at the crowd of people, do you make judgments of one another? And do you think to yourself in the quietness of your heart, well, I'm better than she is. Well, I'm certainly better than he is. Do you make judgments that, you know, um, how much better you are than this one, how much greater you are than that one, how far beneath you they are? If I am truly going to follow the Lord Jesus as a servant, then I must look at every single one of you as being better than me, as being greater than me. Honestly, 
sincerely from the heart. Not in theory, but in practice. Blessed are you if you do them. I cannot be concerned with my personal rights. I must be like Paul who said in 2 Corinthians, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Can you do that? We must do that. That's what the Scripture says. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. If I, being your Lord and Master, have done these things to you, you ought also to wash one another's feet. You want to be blessed like Joseph? Blessed are you if you do these things. Joseph's tender care for Pharaoh's two servants is a demonstration of his true heart condition. He loved those whom he served. The Bible says in Galatians 5, through love, so this has got to be the motivation here in service, through love, serve one another. For all of the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Someone said that we must be willing to do the dirty work, the humble task, the behind the scenes job. It may be especially difficult to continue with faithful, loving service, especially when we do not feel appreciated, especially if we are not rewarded for kindnesses that we have shown to others. Joseph experienced that in prison too. You remember after he uh, explained the dreams that the, uh, the servants of Pharaoh had, he told the baker that his head would be cut off and he told the cupbearer, you're going to be going back to Pharaoh this day. And when you get to Pharaoh, remember me. Remember me. In other words, look, I've treated you with kindness. I've treated you sincerely. Remember me when you see the Pharaoh. And get me out of this pit. <laughs> he was in a pit. He was in a dungeon. And don't, don't think it was a Sunday school picnic. It says in the Psalms, the Lord actually takes special notice of what took place in prison. And it says that they chained his feet in fetters. They hurt him, it says, in fetters. And so that's what he would walk around with uh, day by day. You'd think he would be remembered. But he was quickly forgotten. And it took another two full years before he was remembered before Pharaoh. Joseph experienced uh, that lack of appreciation there in the prison. When Pharaoh had two dreams, and they could not be interpreted by all of the wise men of Egypt, the chief, the chief butler finally remembered Joseph. And Joseph was quickly cleaned up, shaved, and he was brought before Pharaoh. And there he interpreted his dreams, and Pharaoh placed him in a position of power, a position of service over the entire country. He was second in command, second only to Pharaoh. And he, we want to look back again. He loyally served his father. He faithfully served uh, Potiphar in his house. He served wholeheartedly in the prison. And now he is raised to second in command over all of Egypt. The Lord is rewarding faithful, habitual service with greater service. That's what he does. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, remember that song taken from the scripture? 
be what? The servant of all. Jesus told many stories about faithful service. Two of them emphasize the fact that faithfulness in small things will result in great reward and greater service. Are you faithfully serving the Lord in the small things that He has given you to do? If you want to be great, be the servant of all. In Joseph's case, his faithfulness all along the way led to greater service and ultimately to a position of great opportunity to serve not only all of Egypt, but many of the surrounding nations that were also going to face the, uh, the famine. And more importantly, he was going to render service to his own family who had betrayed him. But the family through whom God promised the coming deliverer. The period of time that we're talking about here, from the time Joseph left um, his family, was sold into slavery, until the time that he was raised to power, is a period of 11 years. Faithful, habitual service for 11 years. Even when he became second in command, it was still service, greater service uh, for the Lord. And I think he looked at it that way. I was told a story of a king who needed a faithful servant and chose two candidates for the office of service. He hired both of them at a fixed wage per day. And on the first day, he gave them their first task. He says, I want you to go to the well over there and I want you to draw water from that well and bring the water over to this um, basket. It's a weave basket and I want you to pour the water in the weave basket. Now, you know what's going to happen to the water, right? What's going to happen? It's all going to run out. And so the two of them went and they started their day's work. And one went and gathered water and he poured it in the basket. And then the next one went and he got water and he poured it in the basket. And this went on for about 15 minutes, half an hour. And one of them finally said, after dumping one or two buckets of water in the basket, one of the men said, what is the point of doing this useless work? What is the point of this? All that's, all that's happening is we're pouring water in and it's spilling out. Didn't the king know that this is what was going to happen? The other answered, hey, we've been paid our wages. This is what the king asked us to do. There must be some reason for it. And so let's continue on doing the work that he's given us to do. I'm not going to do such fool's work, complained the, uh, or replied the complainer. And so he threw his bucket down and he went on his way. And the other servant continued from morning through the afternoon until the time when the king said he would come back. And just as evening came, the well was dry and the king returned. And the king handed to the servant who was there a long pole with a hook on the end of it. And he says, now reach down and find something at the bottom of the well. And he reached down and he pulled up a shiny object that was at the bottom of the well. And the king took the object and he placed the crown that he found at the bottom of the well upon his head of the servant. And the king said, well done, good and faithful servant. When God's blessing does not fully coincide with our expectations, 
Remember to wait until the work is done. The Lord has something precious for you at the end of the day. Remember, as James said, he is very compassionate and merciful. And brothers and sisters, let us not be weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose hearts. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we are glad that you have called us your sons, your children. And yet we realize, Lord, too, that we are bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to do our service faithfully, without regard for personal gain, without regard for personal rights. Lord, we pray that we might have the proper attitude of love for one another, a greater love for others than we have for ourselves. And we just cry out to you, Lord, that we might be found faithful, faithful servants, and we might hear those precious words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. We want to commit our lives to you, Lord. We commit this week to you and our service to you this this week. Lord, we pray that we might uh, reflect the same attitude that the Lord Jesus had himself who came and washed the disciples' feet. Lord, if our Lord and Master, if you did this for us, Lord, how much more we should do it for one another. We pray that we might be blessed in all that we do as we serve one another in love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.